Good morning, everyone. Hey, Matthew chapter 7 is where we're going to hang out in our Bible study time. If you have your Bibles, open them up, grab your notes so that you can follow along. If you're brand new to maybe Journey or brand new to church, everything that I teach from Scripture or give as a note will be on the screen. So hopefully it'll be easy to follow along. We want you to learn some things spiritually today that might help you in your spiritual journey. We're coming to the end of a series that's taught us so much about Jesus But before we get there, man, let me celebrate what our church is doing. I always wanted to be a part of a church that served well in their community. When I found out from Sherry Hennig that by the end of June, we had done almost 30 serve projects, I said, Sherry, like, so we're like, we're doing a serve project a day, every day this summer. And she said, Christian, my goal by the time we get to August 14th, which is the end of serve week, will be to do almost 100 projects in 75 days. My prayer is that our church will do more than one project every day of the summer to be the hands and feet of Jesus, to just help our community know that not only does Journey love them, but Jesus loves them. We need your help for one of these projects. We are helping Habitat for Humanity build a house on Saturday, July 31. We've got seven more spots for people over the age of 16 that we need to have filled by the end of this week, by Friday of this week. So if you'd be willing, if you're a high school junior, senior, guy or girl, if you're a college student, if you'd be willing on Saturday, July 31 to go pick up a hammer um, and a saw and to help build a house, you can text Journey House to 474747. Let's help build somebody a permanent house in our community who needs one to just help them understand, hey, Jesus loves you, our church loves you, and we want to provide for you. If you'd be willing to help, we're trying to fill those spots by this week. So we're in Matthew chapter 7. We've been in a series called Jesus and Spiritual Foundations. Here is the premise of this series. Here's what we're hoping to accomplish, to learn the foundational beliefs that followers of Jesus embrace as their spiritual worldview. Turn to somebody next to you and say, we've made it. So we finally made it to the end of the Sermon on the Mount. The Sermon on the Mount in Scripture is Matthew chapter 5, 6, and 7. This is message number 31 in the Sermon on the Mount. So the last week of this series, Jesus and Spiritual Foundations, but also more than six months of learning in Matthew 5, 6, and 7, the teaching of Jesus, that finally culminates today in Matthew chapter 7, verses 24 through 29. So more than six months in one sermon of Jesus. And here's where we hope to end today. Here's the goals that we have for today's teaching. Number one, to see the one decision that defines every other decision. One of the things I'm sad about in the summer of 2021, just the way the calendar lines up, is I won't get to Colorado this summer. It's one of the first summers in a while that I've not had a chance to get away from 100 degrees in Kansas City and wake up in Colorado, and it's like a crisp 45. Like, does anyone know that feeling of leaving, leaving the hot plains and getting to the mountain and just feeling like you can breathe again? That's my favorite part of the summer is just getting away from the heat from time to time if I can. And if you drive far enough up on I-70, eventually you're going to go over the Continental Divide, which is the place where if a drop of rain hits and it falls on one side, it goes to the Atlantic Ocean, and if it falls on the other side, it goes to the Pacific Ocean. Jesus today is going to give us the Continental Divide of spiritual decisions. He's going to say literally this one decision will shape the direction of the rest of your life. If you fall on this side of the decision, your life will look like this. If you fall on this side of the decision, your life will look like this. But from this decision, you go one of two ways and life looks different forever. So we're going to look at the continental divide of spiritual decisions. And then number two, we're going to see the key to giving Jesus authority in your life. It's not a key that I can teach you. I cannot teach you to want to give Jesus authority in your life, but I can point you in the right direction. 
of what it looks like to begin to trust Jesus so deeply that you let him be in charge and then let you walk through those experiences in life as they come. Before we ever dig into scripture at our church, we ask God to prepare our hearts. So would you just bow your heads and pray with me quickly? Take a deep breath and kind of settle into this moment. And two prayers. One, a prayer asking God to just clear your heart. And then two, a prayer asking God to speak to it. So many things in life weigh our hearts down. If we can remove those today so we can receive from God, it'd be a good day in church. God, we confess that we need you every Sunday, usually every day, to clear the things of the world off of our hearts that just bring heaviness and heartache and hurt and brokenness. So we confess that we need you to clear our hearts out, but we want that to happen so you'll fill them up with your word. So speak to us. Thank you, God, for 31 weeks of sitting at the feet of Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount. Today, show us how to act on what we've learned the last six months so that it might change us forever by helping us truly see and truly experience Jesus. That's our prayer. We ask it in Jesus' name, and everyone said, amen. Matthew chapter 7, let's go ahead and finish this sermon of Jesus, starting in verse 24. Jesus says, therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain came down, the streams rose, the wind blew and beat against that house, yet it didn't fall because it had its foundation on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on sand. The rain came down, the streams rose, the wind blew and beat against that house, and it fell with a great crash. When Jesus had finished saying these things, the crowds were amazed at his teaching because he taught as one who had authority and not as one of their teachers of the law. So I studied this text for the first time in depth 23 years ago this fall because that's the first time I studied any of the Bible in depth 23 years ago this fall when God called me to the ministry. And as I began to live in Matthew chapter 7, one verse at a time, and I got to this section, I could not get past, number one, the storm. Like I I could not get past the promise of a storm that was coming to knock our life down. And I'm not sure why I got so hung up as a 20-year-old Bible college student on the fact that storms were going to come, but I, I think I learned something that I didn't anticipate as a follower of Jesus as I read through this text. Look at the storm. Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain came down, the streams rose, the winds blew and beat against that house. Yet it didn't fall because it had its foundation on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell with a great crash. It was the first time in my life that I realized studying this text that following Jesus does not change what you experience in life. It just changes how you get through it. Like I anticipated getting to the end of the Sermon on the Mount where Jesus has taught us all this stuff about knowing him and becoming like him and behaving like him and hearing him say, now like if you learn what I taught you and you do it, it's going to keep you from a lot of heartache in life. It's going to keep you from the storms of life. It's going to make life so much easier. But Jesus doesn't say that. He said, everyone who hears and practices everything I've told you to do has got a storm coming. It's the first time I looked at that and thought, man, Following Jesus doesn't change what you go through. It just changes how you come through it. And I was fixated on this thought that the storm is coming. And the people who do exactly what Jesus says and the people who never do what Jesus say look exactly the same a lot of times in life until the storm comes. 
And when the storm comes and passes, they reveal whether or not they are truly following Jesus and his teaching or whether they are not. One survives, the other falls, Jesus said, with a great crash. Not only do they fall, but everyone around them sees it and hears it. When you go through the storms in life, are you a survivor or a crasher? Think about the last storm that you went through. Think about the greatest storm that you went through, survivor or crasher. So Jesus, as he begins to teach us about walking through the storms of life, he's going to give us four different contrasts. I'm going to let you kind of fill this out on your notes while I talk kind of bigger picture in Matthew chapter 7. So Matthew chapter 7 is a chapter of contrasts. We see four contrasts in today's message, but really there were already, there are four major contrasts in Matthew chapter 7. Three weeks ago, Jesus said there's two gates. He contrasted a narrow gate with a wide gate. There's two gates, two choices. Uh, two weeks ago, we talked about fruit. Jesus said there's a contrast in fruit. Some people produce really good fruit with their life. Some people produce really bad fruit with their life, but there's a contrast in what people produce in their life. Last week, you heard Pastor Mike say that there are a lot of people who think that they are Christians who won't realize that they are not until they stand before Jesus because there's a contrast in people who really follow Jesus and people who only say that they follow Jesus. So Jesus said, the way you get to me, there's a contrast in that. The things you produce when you follow me, there's a contrast in that. And where you live eternally, there's going to be a contrast in that. And then he gets to today's message. And as he's walking us to the storm, he gives us these four contrasts. The world is filled with two different types of people, those who apply Jesus' teaching and those who don't. The wise versus the foolish, the rock versus the sand, the house that stands and the house that falls. The concerning thing about this, and maybe the best thing about this, is we only have one choice about these contrasts. It's the first one. But if we get the first one right, we get the other three right. If we get the first one wrong, we get the other three wrong. But the only one of these contrasts that we have a choice in is the first one. You take what Jesus says and you do it, or you take what Jesus says and you don't. And Jesus said that is the continental divide of spiritual decisions. If you take what Jesus teaches and you do it, The rest of your life, you're going to fall on wisdom. When things get hard, you're going to find your foundation on the rock. When the storms of life come, you're going to be okay. If at the top of the continental divide, you choose to do what Jesus says, you'll always fall on wisdom. You'll always stand on rock. You'll always get through storms. On the other hand, if when spiritual decisions come up and you hear what Jesus says, but you think I'm going to do it my own way or a different way or halfway, you are always going to find yourself on the path of the foolish. You are always going to find your foundation shaky and slippery like sand. You are always, when the storm comes, going to crash. You you get one choice. Practice and apply what Jesus says or don't. That one choice will impact the rest of your life. What Jesus is saying is the people who make one choice or the other will look the exact same until life kind of begins to come loose on them. When Jesus kind of gives this picture... Some of you live in a, in a neighborhood that has like four model homes. So the whole neighborhood has hundreds of homes, but it's the same four houses. Some of you actually live across the street from your house because it's like the, the exact same house that you built, they built, some even a similar color if your neighborhood doesn't have codes to kind of keep them away from each other. This is the story that Jesus is giving. Jesus says there is a neighborhood that has two houses that are the exact same type of house. And they have in them the exact same type of family. And on sunny days, on good weeks, they look the exact same. 
but one storm rolls through town and hits both houses. And one of them stands and one of them is totally destroyed. And the result of the storm shows where they stand on the continental divide of spiritual decisions. I trust and follow Jesus or I trust and follow myself. But you can't really see it until the storm comes. There are people who hear Jesus and acknowledge that they've heard him. Yep, I know what he says, but they don't do anything. And then there are people who hear and apply, and they look very similar. As a matter of fact, both are sitting in church today. People who will hear everything I say, you'll go away and not apply any of it. There are people who, go away, who will hear it, go away and apply it, and not till a similar storm hits both will you see which one really has a foundation of Jesus. That's the teaching of this message. You say, Christian, I want to be someone who applies Jesus' teaching to every area of my life, but like I just don't feel like my faith is strong enough. How do I get to the point where I can trust everything Jesus tells me for every area of my life? Well, you've got to grow your faith. You say, how do I grow my faith? We, like we've got to keep reading. Well, actually start a new series next week in Matthew chapter 8 called Jesus and Lessons in Faith. Because Jesus knows that you, like his hearers 2,000 years ago, can't be given all these instructions on how to follow him without also learning how to build your faith. So we'll talk as we get into Matthew chapter 8 about the heart of God. You need to understand the heart of God to be able to trust God. We'll talk about our need for God and how desperately we need God in his direction. We'll talk about the costs of following Jesus and the tests of following Jesus. And Jesus will say, some of the things I do in your life that restore your soul the most will actually make a wreck of everything else. And while you are getting healthier spiritually, everyone else is going to be kind of repelling from you. Like sometimes your spiritual restoration brings a wreck in all of your relationships. All of those lessons in faith you need to learn so you can follow Jesus. Why? Because we want to apply his teaching so when the storm comes, we stand. Because there's lots of contrast, but there's one constant. A storm's coming. A storm is coming. Look at somebody sitting next to you and say, a storm's coming. Listen, I promise you, a storm, and I'm talking about a spiritual storm, a storm is coming. So this has been kind of a, this has kind of been a throwback week in my life. I've been thinking a lot about the 90s this week because that's when like some key things in my life happen. Um, I, I, last, uh, last night, Danielle and I celebrated our 22nd anniversary, July 10th, 1999. Um, we got married. So yeah, if, if you clap, clap for her. I'm thankful that she stayed married to me for all these um, years. So I've been thinking about 1999 and the week leading up to our wedding and when we got engaged and the people who were in our wedding and, you know, the event. Like, I've just been thinking a lot about 1999. And because I'm teaching on this text, I've been thinking a lot about 1998. Because in the fall of 1998, I was called to ministry. I wanted to be a school teacher, history government, secondary education teacher, football coach. Like, that was my path. And then then God called me and said, you are going to be a teacher and a coach, but it's going to be spiritually. And God really redirected my heart towards ministry. And when God called me to ministry, I I tried to find as many pastors as I could find and say, I feel like God wants me to go into ministry. What do I do? One of the guys I talked to was Daniel's dad. He was a pastor and said, I feel like God's called my heart to ministry. What do I do? And he said, you can't be effective in ministry if you don't learn scripture. So he said, you like, you need to start at Matthew chapter one and you need to start reading the Bible. Call me when you're done. So I started at Matthew chapter one. And within a week I had read all the new Testament and I called him back and said, I'm done. What do I do now? And he said, read it again um, and read it again and read it again. On my second time through, I got to Matthew chapter seven. It's after midnight. I'm laying in my off campus apartment reading scripture And I read across Matthew chapter 7, verses 24 through 29. All I wanted to do in my life, I thought my calling in life was to help Christian teenagers 
make it through the difficulty of years 13 through 18 as public school kids in their public schools. Like I thought that's what God created me to do, help teenagers make it through the storms that is life in America in the early 2000s. That's what I felt like was my calling in life. So as I'm reading through this, it's like what I need to do is connect kids to the rock. If I can connect them to Jesus and his teaching, they'll make it. Even when it's hard, they'll make it. And I remember dialing up Danielle after midnight, getting her out of bed. And I, and I, and I told her, if I ever get to name my own youth ministry, I'm going to name it The Rock. Because I'm convinced the only way kids are going to get from 13 to 18 walking with Jesus is if they love Jesus and his word. Like if, if I get to be in charge, all I'm going to teach is about Jesus and his word. Because I believe that's what it takes to make it through life. So like, I, like I've been thinking about 1998, nine, I've been thinking about 1998, but as I, as I've walked through life a little bit at 20, I thought the biggest storms in life happened when you were teenagers, because that's all that I had lived. But then I realized like at 30, my twenties were harder than my teens. And, and then I got married and I realized like being married was harder than being single. And then I had kids and it's like, that's harder than like everything um, in the world. And then my kids grew up and as they got older, it got harder. And then I went from being a youth pastor to a lead pastor. And like, it felt like every step of life got harder, not easier. And at one point I found my, myself asking God, like, God, do, like, do the storms ever stop? Like I thought if I could get out of my teenage years, the storms would stop. And if I could make it through college, the storms would stop. And if I could make it through the first few years of marriage, and if I could make it through the first few years of parenthood, like I, like I thought if I get my kids to graduate from high school, like do the storms ever stop? And I felt like God responded with a question, not an answer. I'm crying out to God saying, God, do the storms ever stop? And I felt like God said, why does that even matter if you have a storm shelter? Like why does it even matter if it's storming, if you're safe in the midst of the storm? Why are you so focused on the storm? So I think there was a part of me that thought really attaching myself to Jesus would keep me from the storms. And all of a sudden I found myself in the storms and I didn't like it. And God's saying, I've told you that I would protect you. Why does it even matter if you're in the storms? And I remember saying, well, I just don't like, like they make me uncomfortable. Like I don't like them. I'd rather not go through them. They make me nervous. They make me anxious. They're hard to get through. Like I don't know. I just don't care for them. And God said, like, you've always been safe. You, need to, you just need to quit worrying about the storms. Saturday morning around 4 a.m., I got awakened by a knock at my bedroom door. It's really probably more of a scratch um, than a knock. You say, who was it? It was, it was this guy. Um, that's, that's Rudy. He's my little dog. Um, he is named after the football movie, by the way. Yes, for people who always ask. Um, Rudy's 12. And the older he gets, the more freaked out by storms he gets. I mean, to the level of total annoyance. So he's like trying to knock our bedroom door down to get in. So I opened the door to let him in. He's like, what is going on? And then I heard the thunder and I thought, oh, he's freaked out of his mind. And for Rudy, it's not enough to be in our room and it's not enough for him to be in our bed. He has to be on my pillow. Like on top of my head, it's the only place that he feels safe. Literally, on my pillow, on my head, like a little dog hat wrapped around me. <laughs> Thankfully, he's been neutered, so it's not totally awkward. And he's like a really small dog, so it's not, it's not weird stuff going on. But it's like literally like a, like a dog halo on my head. It's like this dog has lost his mind. But that's how, like, that's, that's how he sleeps when he's scared. He's scared, he's scared to death of storms. And the older he gets, the worse it gets. And a few weeks before that, um, Danielle and I were getting ready to leave for work. And my son Christian had already left the house. 
My daughter Casey had already left the house, and there was going to be bad storms moving through Kansas City. Um, Rudy is not my only begotten son, but sometimes he is my most beloved son. Um, and I talked to him like, like he's a person. So like I pulled him aside on the couch. I looked at the radar and I was like, Ooh, this is going to be, this is going to be a bad day for Rudy. So I, like I pulled him aside on the couch and I was like, all right, listen, I just talked to him like I'm talking to you. So you think he understands you? Probably not, but I do like, I do it anyway, just in case. And I'm like, Rudy, it's going to be a really bad day. Like I'm looking at the radar, be a lot of thunder, a lot of lightning, a lot of rain, like this is going to be a bad day for you. No one's home, but you're going to be okay. Like, we got a roof. The windows all work. Like, it's going to be a really bad day for you, but I promise you, you're going to be okay. Don't freak out. Don't eat anything. Don't pee and poop in the house. Like, you're going to be okay. We'll be home at the end of it. It's going to be okay. And then, like, I prayed for him. Lord, help Rudy not freak out all day long. And then, and then like, I'm serious, I did. And then, like, I got in my car and drove to work. And before I got to the stop sign at the end of the road, my spirit felt like I heard God chuckling. And I felt like God said this to me, Christian, I've had that talk with you a hundred times about your own life, and every time it thunders, you throw a fit. What will it take for you to believe about me what you just told your dog about your house? Because I think Rudy has a better chance of actually understanding what you just told him than you have of understanding that I have told you the storms are going to come, but you're going to be okay. Like you're 43 years old, son, and every time it thunders, you freak out. When are you going to trust me in the storms? And when are you going to quit focusing on the storms and start paying attention to the foundation? Because if you have the foundation of Jesus, not only does it not matter if it's storming, you can sit on your back patio and watch the storm and maybe be in awe of the beauty and the strength of it instead of running from it when I'm trying to work in your life. See, the foundations of Jesus don't keep us out of the storms, but they do keep us standing through them. So Jesus said the storms are coming. Following Jesus doesn't change what you go through, but it changes how you go through it. And Jesus said, when the storms come, I don't want you to crash. Look at someone and say, don't crash. That's the goal of this series. Don't crash. The goal of this series is the storms are coming. Don't crash. You say, how do I make sure and not crash when the storms are coming? You have to have the right foundations. And I want you to see the foundation that was being developed by the people who were listening to this sermon 2,000 years ago. Jesus didn't give it over 31 different Sundays. He probably gave it over a long afternoon sitting in the hot Galilee sunshine overlooking the Sea of Galilee. And as he gives this message, he gets to the end of the message and look what people say. When Jesus had finished saying these things, the crowd was amazed at his teaching because he taught as one who had authority and not as one of their teachers of the law. Jesus got done with this message. Watch this. And they were focused more on the teacher than the teaching. Jesus got done with the message and they said, that guy is unbelievable. And I think sometimes in the church, we get so caught up in the teaching of Jesus and memorizing verses and studying doctrine and memorizing theology. We get so caught up in the teaching that we fail to recognize the teacher and we stop saying, that guy, man, that guy is incredible. 
They hear all this teaching and they were amazed at what he was saying, but they were more amazed at him, which tells us this truth. The foundation of Christianity is not a list of practices. It's the life of a person. It's that, it's Jesus. He got done with his message and they said, he's different, he's special, he's powerful, he's anointed. And when we look at all the foundations that we've laid in this series, very few of the foundations are things to practice, but they're all things to believe. It's how to believe. It's who to trust more than it is what to do because that changes in every situation, but who to trust never changes and how to believe never changes. Do you get this? Do you get that Christianity is all about your relationship with Jesus and how you think about Jesus? Because how you think about Jesus tells you whether or not he gets to be in charge of your life. So Jesus had a Colorado about 30 miles north of the Sea of Galilee, maybe a 70 miles totally north on the, on the boundary of northern Israel and Syria, sits a mountain called Mount Hermon. It's one of the highest points in the Middle East. They have enough snow there in the winter that they can actually snow ski. So you can be like in the desert of Judea and within a day be skiing on Mount Hermon. We've been there when they've had feet of snow on top of Mount Hermon. At the base of Mount Hermon was a resort village called Caesarea Philippi. It would, during the summer months, usually be 40 to 50 degrees cooler in Caesarea Philippi than it would be in Galilee. So a lot of the wealthy people in Galilee would vacation. It was their Colorado. Go, they'd go get out of the heat in Caesarea Philippi. Jesus was, was with his disciples one time in Caesarea Philippi when he asked them this question, what do you think of me? Because what you think of me and who I am to you will direct the rest of your life. So who am I to you? And I want you to watch what Peter says. Who am I to you? Simon Peter answered, you're the Messiah. Now, that is a Hebrew word transliterated in the English language. It's the Hebrew word Mashiach. And what they've done is they've tried to take English letters and spell Mashiach, and you get Messiah. The Greek word for Mashiach is uh, Christ. The English word for Mashiach is usually translated Savior, but that's not the best English word. The best English word is rescuer. Jesus asked Peter, who am I to you? And Peter said, you're the guy who rescued me. See, I don't think there are enough followers of Jesus today that his primary role in your life is he rescued you. Because when you primarily see Jesus as your rescuer, Savior sounds so spiritually, we don't even even think about what that means, what he saved us from. But if you were to ask a Christian, hey, tell me what Jesus is to you, and they were to say, he's the guy who rescued me, you're talking to somebody who loves at a very, very deep heart level. Do you describe Jesus as a person who rescued you? He asked his disciples, who do you say I am? Peter said, you're the guy who rescued us. You're the son of the living God. Jesus replied, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this wasn't revealed to you by flesh and blood. And I tell you that you are Peter and on this rock, by the way, the exact same Greek word used in Matthew 7, build your house on the rock. He said on the rock of this confession, on the rock of the confession that Jesus is the rescuer, that Jesus is our rescuer. He said that will build a group of people who will live for me the rest of their life, people who believe that Jesus is their rescuer. The gates of hell will not overcome that type of person. The storms of life won't knock them down. 
and the gates of hell won't overcome them. I don't know about you. That's how, that's the faith I want. I want a faith that the storms of life don't knock down. I want a faith that the gates of hell don't overcome. How do I get that faith? Believe that Jesus is your rescuer. That will change everything. Let him be the savior. Let him be the leader. Let him be the Lord of your life. See, the whole Sermon on the Mount is about Jesus. Matthew chapter 5, how do we become like Jesus? The list of the Beatitudes. We spent another 10 weeks in Matthew 5 chasing perfection. How do we become like Jesus? Matthew chapter 6, behave like Jesus. Learn to pray. Learn to fast. Man, if you are not fasting with us yet this summer, come tonight at 5 p.m. or tune in for 60 minutes of just praying and a little devotional on fasting so that you can see some spiritual breakthrough in your life. Jesus says you've got to learn to give. You've got to learn to trust. And then in Matthew chapter 7, believe like Jesus. The whole Sermon on the Mount is become like Jesus, behave like Jesus, believe like Jesus. We have learned this. The question is, will we apply it? We stand on top of the continental divide. We've learned it all. Will we practice it? Which leads to a life of wisdom, a foundation of the rock, a life of stability, or will we reject it? Which leads to a life of foolishness, a house built on the sand, and a life that crashes when the storms come. That's the key question. You say, how do we know which one we're going to choose? Look at the verses again. When Jesus had finished saying these things, the crowds were amazed at his teaching because he taught as one who had authority and not as their teachers of the law. How do we know who will, who will give Jesus authority and who will not? It's this simple. Jesus won't have your submission to his authority until he has the amazement of your worship. Until you are amazed at who Jesus is, what he has done for you, what he promises in his teaching, and until you are amazed enough at him to trust him completely, you won't give him absolute authority in your life. Almost every act of disobedience or distrust ultimately comes from, I just don't respect Jesus enough in this area to believe and trust what he says. And only God can reveal amazement to people. And usually he only does it when you walk through the storms of life. Usually the only way you are amazed at Jesus is this. You go through something where everything in you says to act one way and Jesus says do something different. And even though it doesn't make sense, you live in faith and you do something different and then Jesus comes through and you're amazed. That's the way it works. And as the amazement grows, so does surrender. Because the more you realize you can trust Jesus in everything in every area of your life, the more you're willing to surrender because you're just convinced this guy like they said at the end of the myth, this guy's unbelievable. The more you're convinced this guy can be trusted in every area. Amazement comes first. And then giving Jesus authority comes after that. It's interesting. If you study the Ten Commandments, this is exactly the formula God used with the people of Israel. He rescued them from Egypt. Exodus chapter 20, we read the Ten Commandments, but Exodus 20 verse 1. There's one verse that's not a commandment. It's a reason to follow the commandments. God says this in Exodus 21. Before he gives the first commandment, he reminds them, I am the God who rescued you from slavery. Therefore, here's what I'm asking of you. God's, God first gives the amazement. I'm the guy who after 430 years rescued your life. Now that you acknowledge that, here's what I'd like from you. No other gods before me. Don't have any idols. Don't take my name in vain. Honor the Sabbath. Honor your parents. Don't kill or steal or commit adultery or lie or covet. Like, I'm the, I'm the God who rescued you. Now here's how I'd like you to live your life. And all the people are like, okay, that makes sense. We owe you everything. These 10 are easy. We'll do our best. 
The next generation didn't do so well. But the rescued generation, all right, God, we'll, we'll do our very, very best. We owe you everything. Do you see Jesus as rescuer? When you see Jesus as rescuer, it will be no problem for him to have your authority. But you have to know him in order to love him. And you have to love him to be willing to trust him. And you have to trust him to experience him. And you have to experience him to live in amazement of him. So do you know Jesus well enough to live in amazement of him? The discipleship tracks that we're rolling out this fall at our church to try to make disciples who make disciples starts with teaching people to love Jesus. You can't love him if you don't know him. You can't trust him if you don't love him. You can't, you can't experience him if you don't live in trust. You won't, you won't live in amazement. So one of the things that our men's and women's Bible studies are doing that we'll meet on Tuesday nights this fall is they are taking a group of men and women in our church through the life of Jesus with the goal to help you fall in love with Jesus so you can live in amazement of him, so you will give him authority in your life and surrender. If you're in here today and you've got an area of your life that's been difficult to surrender to Jesus, it's because you don't know him enough to trust him. If, if you think you'd like to know more spiritually, but you need to know a little bit more about the teaching and the ministry of Jesus, like this is your discipleship step this fall to engage in one of our Jesus tracks of discipleship. Inside your bulletin, we've got this little card that actually says JCI discipleship tracks. If you say, I think the next thing in my life that I need to do in my discipleship is learn how to fall in love with Jesus. I really want to know who he is. Come to our men's or women's Bible study on Tuesday night. Walk through the book of John with Pastor Ryan, with Danielle and some of our ladies' leaders. Learn to know Jesus enough to love him. Learn to love him enough to trust him. Learn to trust him enough to experience him and experience him enough to live in amazement. That's kind of the way it works, but you've got to study who he is so you can know him. If you don't have a card today, but you say, I'd like to know more about Jesus, text Journey Disciple to the 474747 number. All four of those tracks will pop up and you can just click Jesus is the one, the next year I want to get to know Jesus better. He's the one who can change my life. He won't have your submission to his authority until he has your amazement. Can't have your amazement until you know him. Crash or survive. Those are the options when the storm comes in life. Crash or survive. Jesus has been block by block building a foundation that will help us survive. Let's review them all. And maybe for you, like me, one or two of these became stronger in your life over the last six weeks. I actually have two of the six areas that I think are stronger foundations in my life because of this series than they were in May of this year. What are the foundations? Number one, my sin must be judged. My sin caused Jesus to die on the cross. We told people until you can live from the plank, the cross that your sin demanded, you'll never be able to help anyone else take the speck out of their own eye. So I know for a lot of people that was a big deal because their whole life in church has taught them to see the specks of someone else but has never taught them to live from the plank. Foundation number two, my Savior's available for constant relational access that'll meet my physical and spiritual need. I know this was a big deal to people because people say, you know, if God was good and if God wanted my fulfillment, then God would allow me to do X, Y, Z. And we backed up and said, whoa, 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 the first two are right. God is good and God does want you to be fulfilled which means everything God tells you to do is good and will fulfill you. And everything God tells you not to do is not good and will not fulfill you ultimately because God is good and he wants to meet every spiritual and physical need that you have. For me, foundations three and four were solidified in my life as a Christian and as a pastor. Foundation number three, my path to follow Jesus is narrow and most people will choose not to follow it. This is a hard thing to swallow for someone who's been called to tell the whole world about Jesus. 
Like for God to say, hey, Christian, I want you to go reach a teenage community as a youth pastor. I want you to go reach your Lee Summit community as a senior pastor. But by the way, the vast majority of people are going to reject you. That's a hard message to swallow. So I think God had to do some work in me to realize the path to follow Jesus is narrow. Most people are going to choose not to follow it, but those are people who you love more, not less. So they'll see Jesus in your life. And then you choose to do life with people who have walked through the same small gate that you have. And then number four, my doctrine has to cling to Jesus, the scriptures and his standards for my life of faith, while at the same time withstanding false teachers and bad doctrine. I really believe through this series, God spoke to my heart as a teacher and as a Christian, you have to more often warn people about false teachers and bad doctrine. It's out there. Every Christian is gonna fight it. You have to help them fight it well. So for me, these two foundations... They grew under my life of faith and they were solidified under my life of faith. Five and then today, six are these. Pastor Mike last week said, my obedient behavior to the will of God reveals my heart and my true connection to Jesus. We had 11 people at least last week who acknowledge I've always thought I was a Christian, but I've not obeyed God. I need to give my life to Jesus. This week we learned foundation number six, my Christianity is ultimately a faithful life and a loving trust to a person named Jesus who gave all of his life for me and who asked for all of my life for him. These are the foundations that Jesus wants us to live in. And we would say, well, how important is it to have good foundations? I don't know if you've been following the news out of South Florida lately, but it's pretty important to have good foundations. I'm sure many of you have seen the Surfside condos that collapsed about a week and a half ago in the middle of the night just before 2 a.m., If you're like me, you read the stories and then you watch the video once in horror, realizing that almost every balcony was represented by somebody who was laying in bed who literally in less than eight seconds went from alive to dead because the foundations in the building were no good. And they checked them and they knew they might be shaking. They knew they might be loose, but nobody was willing to go re-fortify the foundations. So 86 people confirmed as of this morning dead and nearly a hundred more still missing, are now living through the result of having a bad foundation. How important are foundations? I would say they're more important than anything as the storms roll through our life. Is your foundation Jesus? You know, as I watched the video of that tower, those two towers just collapsing, filled with people, I thought about how short life is and how fast life will end both individually and globally one day. Because the Apostle Peter in some of his last ministry words ever would say, this is what's gonna be like when God finally decides to come back. He says, the day of the Lord is gonna come like a thief. Jesus would often describe it as a thief in the night while people were in bed. The heavens are gonna disappear with a roar. The elements are gonna be destroyed by fire. The earth and everything done in it will be laid bare. Since everything's gonna be destroyed this way, since everything is gonna fall, What kind of people ought you to be? I say since everything in life is shaky, we ought to be a people who look for a firm foundation. And Jesus says, I offer it for you. And since your life one day will vanish like that, and since the world one day will vanish like that, stand on a foundation that is both secure and eternal. His name is Jesus. You say, I want that foundation. Become like him. Learn to behave like him and believe everything that he has told you. Get to know him enough to love him, love him enough to trust him, trust him enough to try to live in faith. And as you experience him, watch your eyes be open to the amazement of who he is. That's how it works. 
If you'll be willing to lean in, I promise you he'll lean right back and meet you. God says, I will draw near to him who draws near to me. So when you take one step towards God, he takes a giant step back. His legs are longer than yours. He's going to get there real quick. And you're going to find yourself close enough to Jesus to stand firm in the storms of life. And that's the goal of this whole series. Survive. Don't crash. Would you pray with me as we consider these things? Heads are bowed and eyes are closed all over the room, but hearts are open. Jesus says we get to choose whether or not we'll apply his teaching and that will impact the rest of our life. What's your decision? It will take faith, but that faith will take knowing Jesus enough to love and trust him. You get to choose whether or not you apply what you heard today. What's your decision? If it's a yes, but I need help, you might say yes, but I also need to be a part of the Jesus track so I can know him better. Whatever God's saying to you today, lean into it. Some of you are here and the storm right now is raging in your life. You have a smile on your face, but inside like you got a tornado in your heart. Really nobody knows it but you, but you're living through the midst of a storm. Some of you, the storm has already blown through and your life and your marriage and your family and your job has crashed. You're trying to figure out how to start over. Some of you are looking at the clouds gathering in the west and you're thinking oh man it's coming you can just feel it in your spirit the storm is coming the answer is the same for those who have been through the storm are going through it or who are getting ready it's Jesus if your life is anchored in Jesus you're going to be okay if you don't know Jesus today you can receive him by faith you can open up your heart you can admit that you need a rescuer And you can ask him to rescue your life and be your spiritual leader. He loves you. He lived for you. He died for your sins so you could be forgiven. So you could be close to him and right with God. And if you need him, just tell him today. Say, how do I do that? You open up your heart by faith and you pray. You don't have to pray out loud, but from your heart to heaven, you could pray something like this. Jesus, I need you. Just repeat after me if that's your heart today. If God brought you here to be rescued, just pray this prayer. Jesus, I need you to rescue me. Forgive me of my sin. Cleanse me from my past. Heal me of my hurt and lead me into my future. Today I surrender my life to your leadership. I ask for your salvation and I commit to follow you. If you just prayed that prayer and took that spiritual step today in just a second, Hannon will tell you how you can connect to us. Let us know of your decision so we can pray for you, maybe even pray with you. Give you some resources that'll help you as you begin to figure out who Jesus is so that you can love him deeply. But Christians, we stand on top of the spiritual continental divide today, Christians. And we have a map for our life. Hear and apply. Be wise. Stand on the rock. Make it through the storms. Hear and reject make foolish decisions live on a shaky foundation crash when life gets hard what will you choose Christians anchor yourself in Jesus anchor yourself in Jesus God that's our prayer let us anchor ourselves with the firm foundation of Jesus so as the storms come we stand and after the storm has blown through we not only stand but we go help others whose lives have crashed rebuild starting with the foundation of Jesus. That's our prayer. We pray that you'll help us to do that.
And we ask it all in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen.